Hey everyone, it's Pacific. If you don't know, SCP Archive Season 2 starts on March 3rd. If you want to stay up to date on SCP Archives, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and on Patreon. Uh, to get links to all of those places, you can go to scparchives.com. Uh, there we also have some info on the cast, um, some stuff about the show, and links to listen on Apple, Spotify, you know, the places you're probably listening to the show right now. And on that note, this week I'm excited to present two more tales. Uh, like last week, we're doing kind of a mixed bag episode again. Uh, these are two of the tales we recorded for Patreon very early on, uh, and they've just kind of been sitting there, and I want to share them with you guys. Um so you can get kind of a glimpse at what we'll be offering on Patreon for Season 2 uh, every week alongside our four release episodes. Uh, and those bonus episodes will be starting up again soon. But right now you can get access to our whole backlog of ad-free and bonus episodes by going to patreon.com scp underscore pod. And lastly, this week's episode is sponsored by RLJE Films. Stephen Lang, William Sadler... Martin Cove and Fred Williamson are in for the fight of their lives in Fangoria's VFW from director Joe Bigos. VFW is now playing in theaters and on-demand and digital HD. See it on the big screen or own it on Apple TV today. If you're interested in checking out this movie, there is a link in the description below, or you can visit bloody-disgusting.com. We actually recently did a pretty cool uh, set visit. So we have a lot of behind-the-scenes photos of the VFW set. Uh, this movie looks very, very cool. And I am very excited to watch it. And I hope you guys check it out, too. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the movie, follow hashtag VFWMovie. And now, without further ado, this week's episode. Warning, the Foundation database is classified. Unauthorized access will result in detainment. Within this archive, you'll find the procedures, descriptions, and accounts of the most notorious anomalies we've encountered to date. Secure. Contain. Protect. Our first story, We Need to Talk About 55, was written by Quantum and narrated by Jesse Hall. Can I smoke? This time the receptionist narrows her eyes at Marion. No, she says. No, you can't smoke anywhere on Site 200. Just because it's an administration building doesn't mean we don't have lungs. Or labor law. Marion notices the exasperation on the young woman's face. I've asked you that before, haven't I? Twice in the last quarter hour, the receptionist says. You must really need a smoke. She's genuinely puzzled at the repeated question, and she's doing a bad job of concealing her puzzlement. You think this is like Memento, don't you? Marion offers, charitably. You think I have no long-term memory, and if I stay in one place too long, I forget why I'm there. The receptionist is only old enough to remember that film. I... guess? Marion smiles sympathetically and shakes her head. It's nothing so simple. Minutes pass. She toys obsessively with her lighter. She's turning 50 this year, and slowly graying, well on her way out of petite towards little old lady. In her bag, her phone beeps because it's time for a pill, but she tells it to remind her later. There's a slight tremble in her fingers, but that's not age-based infirmity, that's just ordinary nerves. She's nervous because she's here to meet No 5, 
And O5s are scary. O5s never want to see you for a small thing. It's the end of the world, or nothing. Finally, 40 minutes late, the door to the inner office opens. Four or five high-ranked foundationers spill out, carrying laptops or briefcases. As a group, they head straight past reception and out to the cars which are waiting. Marion recognizes a few of the faces, the Site-19 director, the head recruiter of Western Europe. None of them glance in her direction. Once they're gone, 05-8's assistant pokes his head around the door. He's 20-something, probably youthful, like a teenager stuffed into one of his dad's business suits. His haircut is barely regulation. In one hand, he holds a tablet computer, showing his boss's daily planner. It's packed. The man evidently does not sleep. Marion? You can come through now. The office door closes behind them with an unusually heavy mechanical clunk, as if the whole thing is part of a machine built into the office walls. While Marion takes the indicated chair and sets her bag down, the assistant turns and does some confusing additional things to the door, causing it to make several further strange noises. O5s have non-trivial privacy and security requirements. The office is spacious, but somehow contrives to be dark despite two big corners of window and broad daylight outside. The windows are all bookshelves and dark wood paneling, perfectly stylish, but a style from the 90s, a little worn, and not yet old enough to be fashionable again. As for the fellow behind the desk, well, an 05 never looks like you imagine. Marion takes a deep breath. So what's the topic? All I got was a meeting invitation, no agenda or subject. I mean, an 05 says jump, you jump, but... Looking at her right, she notices that the assistant, without saying anything or making any undue noise, set a tablet down on the table, produced a gun, and aimed it at her head. Marion stops talking. She sits still in her chair for a little while, absorbing the change of pace, letting her heart rate raise to a hummingbird's, and then start to flatten again. Okay, she hazards. She licks her lips and grips the armrests, otherwise staying perfectly still, waiting for another prompt. The assistant's face is totally neutral now, like this is just how meetings go. Maybe it is, for people up here. Who are you? 05-8 asks her. Marion blinks. What? Oh, God. Let me rephrase, 05-8 says. Marion Wheeler, 49, with loving husband and two boys in tow, likes camping, hiking, and ornithology, boring mother with perfect airtight background and financials as far back as we can examine. And you've got full foundation credentials, which we've never issued, including access to a list of installations and rooms, which... Some of these locations don't exist, or were torn down decades ago. At least one hasn't been built yet, yet you've got the front door key to it. That's before we get to your SCP access control list, which I can only term as egregious. So you're a spy, and your objectives are misaligned with ours, and Clay wanted to cut Xi-3 loose on you, but I was able to bring him around. I talked him into a face-to-face. I thought there was a slim chance that if we locked you in a bomb-proof room and asked politely, you'd have the good sense to spare yourself the rest. Marion had long since stopped listening. You dullard, she says, now that she can finally speak. I'm your chief of animemetics. We don't have an animemetics division, Clay says. Yes, you do. We do. 05-8 says, we have a memetics division. Uh telecontainment division, fire services, Ops A, Ops B, personnel, D-personnel, and two dozen others. We don't have an anti-memetics division. Do we have an ironing division? Marion asks. 
She hesitates, hopefully. No? All right, we'll try this. Why do you think the anti-memetics division would show up in the listing? It's just a cover story, Clay says to 05-8, not taking his eyes off Marion. It's a good one, but she's had it worked out in advance. Clay, lose the piece, says the 05. Grudgingly, Clay does so. Marion relaxes fractionally. There are SCPs with dangerous memetic properties, she says. There are contagious concepts which require containment, just like any physical threat. You get inside your head and ride your mind to reach other minds, right? Right, 05-8 says. He can name a score of SCPs filling this description without even thinking. There are SCPs with anti-memetic properties, Marion goes on. There are ideas which cannot be spread. There are entities and phenomena which harvest and consume information, particularly information about themselves. You take a Polaroid of one, it'll never develop. You write a description down on a pen and paper and hand it to someone, but you've written turns out to be hieroglyphics, and nobody can understand them, not even you. You can look directly at one and it won't even be invisible, but you'll still perceive nothing there. Dreams you can't hold on to and secrets you can never share, and lies, and living conspiracies. It's a conceptual subculture of ideas consuming other ideas and sometimes... Segments of reality. Sometimes, people. Which makes them a threat. That's all there is to it, really. And to memes are dangerous, and we don't understand them. Therefore, they're a part of the problem. Hence my division. We can do all the sideways thinking that's needed to combat something which can literally eat your combat training. 05-8 stares back at her for a long moment. Clay fidgets, disliking and distrusting the story. But the 05 seems more open to the concept. Name one, he says. Name an anti-memetic SCP. SCP-055, Marion says promptly. <laughs> There's no SCP-055, Claire retorts. Again, yes there is, Marion says. There isn't, Clay asserts. SCP numbers aren't assigned sequentially. There are gaps. The number hasn't been assigned. It's not superstition. We have enough to be concerned with without arbitrary numerological mysticism. We have SCP-666 and SCP-013, but there's no SCP-001, and there's no SCP-055. Clay, 05-8 says, you should look at this. He turns his monitor so Clay can see the file that he has just retrieved. Clay bends over and reads it from top to bottom. Stunned, he scrolls back and reads it a second time. But... The file's dated from 2008, 05-8 says. It's got all the right tags and signatures. It's keyed and coded. It's real. You, you've seen this before? Clay asks him. Never in my life, 05-8 says. As far as I can remember anyway. On the other hand, if the content is accurate, both of us have probably seen it dozens of times. Clay glares at Marion. This isn't possible. Marion nearly spits. <laughs> For Christ's sake, Clay! How long have you been working here? But if this SCP is this powerful, he begins. Yes? Who wrote the file, the O5 finishes. And for that matter, how was the interview conducted? And who is Bartholomew Hughes? And most importantly, how do you, Miss Wheeler, retain knowledge of any of this? Bart Hughes wrote the file. He's dead, Marion says. What happened to him? You don't want to know. There's a very long pause while both O5-8 and his assistant react to this. In fact, 
They pass through a long, discreet sequence of reactions. Indignation at the seeming rudeness, confusion at Wheeler's incaution in front of sinister superiors, surprise at the magnitude of the claim, pure disbelief, comprehension, and finally, horror. What? 05-8 asks carefully. What happened if we did know? Yeah, what happened to you as well, Marion says, levelly. As for the rest of your questions, we manage that pharmaceutically. You know we have Class A amnestics for people who very badly need to forget things? Of course you do. Who could forget about Class A amnestics? Well, in antimimetics, we have a different pill for people who need to remember things that would otherwise be impossible to remember. Amnestics. Class W, X, Y, and Z. Same Greek root as the word mnemonic. The M is silent. In her bag, her phone beeps again. With a nod of approval from the O5... Marion reaches into her bag and turns her phone off, acknowledging the prompt this time instead of postponing it. She pulls a blister pack from another pocket and pops a pill out. It's hexagonal and green. She holds it up and is satisfied to see a flicker of recognition on 05-8's face. He's beginning to pull it back together. Marion says, These are Class W Nestics, the weakest, suitable for continual use. Two pills per day. Go down to the site pharmacy and ask. The pharmacist will claim they don't stock any such thing. They're misremembering. Tell them to double-check. 05-8 size. And now I think I get it. I see why we're having this conversation at all. Yes, Marion says, popping a second pill out and handing it over to him. It's because you missed a dose. Just be on these, the same as me and everybody on my staff. It's the only way we can work. You forgot to take a pill, and then you forgot all the information that the pills are helping you retain. You forgot why you were taking them. Who gave them to you? Where to get more? You forgot about me and my entire department, and now I have to bring you up to speed. And if I take this, 05-8 says, I'll remember this whole conversation and we won't have to have it again? Hopefully not, Marion says. Clay pipes up. Uh, should I be taking these? Sorry, kiddo, 05-8 says. Need to know. Maybe when you're no 05 yourself. He swallows the pill. Marion swallows hers, too. So what is SCP-055? 05-8 asks. SCP-055 is nothing, Marion says, now relaxing entirely. SCP-055 is, as described in the file, a powerful information autosuppressor. As far as the experimentation has uncovered, it can only be defined in negative terms. We can only record what it isn't. We know it isn't safe or Euclid. We know it isn't round or square, or green or silver. We know it isn't stupid, and we know it isn't alone. What we do know is that it's weak. It's weak because it's the only antimimetic agent in our possession which has a physical entry in the files. We have paper records of the thing. We have containment procedures. It's not safe, which means it's dangerous, but it's contained. 05-8 blinks. You have procedures? Where? Marion points to her head. Then how many other antimemes are there? How much more dangerous do they get? Ten that I know of, Marion says. Statistically, probably at least five more that I don't know of. This does not count the antimimetic entities freely roaming the halls, not under containment. There are at least two in this room with us right now. Don't look. I said don't look. It's pointless. 05-8 does an impressive job of controlling himself, keeping his attention focused on Marion. Clay doesn't fare so well, and quickly sweeps the whole room, even checking behind his back, making an ass of himself, essentially. He finds nothing. He looks baffled. There's an invisible monster which follows me around and likes to eat my memories, Marion explains patiently. SCP-4987. Don't look it up. It's not there. I've learned to manage with it. 
It's like a demanding pet. I produce tasty memories on purpose, so it doesn't need something important, like my password or how to make coffee. And what's the other one? Clay asks. With another nod from 05-8, Marianne goes to her bag again. This time she pulls out a gun and shoots Clay twice in the heart. More aghast than in pain, Clay collapses sharply against the bookcase behind him. Pulling his head around to face Marion, he manages... How did... you... know? Marion stands, aims more carefully, and shoots him a third time, this time in the head. 05-8, again, does an impressive job of not reacting. That's Clay's gun, he deadpans. You stole it from him. It's tricky to steal a firearm this heavy from someone without them noticing, Marion explains, unloading it and carefully setting it down. But stealing a firearm and then stealing the memory of the theft is a little easier. Like I said, a pet. Some pets are dumb enough that they can be trained. Yes, 05-8 says, evenly. That much I'd guessed. But why? You can't skip a dose of Class W Nestic. I've tried. You can postpone a dose, but you can't forget unless someone actively prevents you from taking it. There's only one person who could get close enough to you to do that, and that's your assistant. And remember when I asked him how long he'd been working here? He didn't answer, 05-8 says. I thought you were being rhetorical. He doesn't work here, Marion says. He's an antimeme. Since when do you have an assistant? You don't have an assistant, Brent. Look at this office. It's got one desk. You've got a receptionist outside. She's the one who screens your calls and schedules your meetings. Where does Clay even sit? Where does he fit? Don't blame yourself. You're human, and these things are adaption incarnate. You need to think like a space alien to get around them. 5-8 asks a question which, in any other workplace, would be absurd. Is he dead? Maybe, Marion says. I can put his corpse in our research queue, and we'll see what we can see when we open him up. There's a duality here, though. They're like parallel universes sharing the same space. It's conceptual versus concrete. Figurative versus physical. It's very unusual for things to cross over. I don't know what Clay was, but he had a human body, which instantly makes him weird, even by our standards. As ever, the search for stalemate continues. I'll let you know if we get any closer. Any side effects of these pills? 05-8 asks. Nausea and dramatically increased risk of pancreatic cancer, Marion says. And very bad dreams. Our second story today, Documents Recovered from Marianas Trench, was written by Dr. Gears and is narrated by Sarah Golding. I need to write this down because I forget things sometimes and I, I think what I heard today was important. Not to me. The time for me or almost anyone else alive on Earth today to make a difference has passed, but someone, somewhere, might be able to make something of this. Or at least find it helpful or something. Once I'm done, I'm going to seal it up in a pipe, coat it in wax and chuck it into the ravine. Maybe someday someone will read this and try to put things together. If they're allowed to. I'd love to start at the beginning, but I'm honestly not sure when the world started to end. It could have been years and years before the final bits, or, or it could have been all at once. Everything was so grim, what with warmer air, cooler seas, too little gas and too many people. Things could have been unravelling for ages before things bubbled up to the public eye. What I and others remember most was when the Disney magic sank. It was then, I think, that most people started to think that things might be worse than they seemed. 
The Disney Magic was a big cruise ship, one of those liner jobs that tools around islands and stuff. One day, the news was all screaming about how suddenly it just went down and when it was trying to, to put into port. See, the weird thing about it was how there was no video of it for a really long time. Some still pictures of it floating fine, but none of it actually going down. Then, somehow, a tape showed up and the news started playing it. I have to imagine they didn't review it first. The ship was puffing along, strong and fast, little boats bobbing around it, looking like every vacation lover's dream, when suddenly it stopped. I mean, stopped, just like a, a dead halt, like it had just slammed into a mountain. You could see people go lurching forward all over the deck, a bunch of junk fall off the sides. Oh, it's a real mess. It's all still for a few seconds, and suddenly there's this foaming behind the ship. Most people assumed it was the engine trying to fire up again. Then, then, the arm came up. I'm not sure if it actually was an arm, but it was some kind of limb, and it must have been a hundred foot long at least. It reached up along the side of the boat and just, it just ripped it open. I mean, unzipped it like a, a coat and you could see all the people inside uh, screaming and, and running it was awful and then then you saw something lurch up a big spiny shape pushing against that gap just shoving in and then then there was a, an explosion on its back and the camera whipped up to show a, a couple of, of jets whizzing by and then it ended. I remember just sitting there, stunned, looking at the TV, barely noticing the, the president coming on to declare a state of emergency. I think it was two or three days later when the TV went under full government control, but it have been a week, I'm, I'm not sure. Internet got clamped later, but... Uh, Soon, all you could hear, read, or see was, Remain calm. Everything is under control. Mm. Yeah, the oddest thing was that life really didn't change much for a while. The bills still came. We still had to work, go to school, all that. It's just... It's just a lot more scared faces and a lot more weird talk. Pretty soon we were getting told that whole towns were being evacuated that there was a, a plague or a riot or a terrorist bomb or, or, or some, some other nightmare. My brother down south said that they got moved because of a, a huge wildfire. The weird thing was, he said, he said that the fire moved oddly, it seemed to, to shoot right for, for gas or, or brush, and it didn't travel evenly. That after a while, he swore he saw what looked like a 20-foot-tall man of fire walking and eating everything. Call got dropped right after he said that. I haven't talked to him since. So things got worse, little by little. People all kept being moved and... Well, there was no real way to communicate with each other anymore that was really reliable, so it was hard to say just how bad things were. Still, word of mouth was still going strong and it was creepy like crazy shit like really 
stuff about zombies in the north killing frenzies in the east, a place near the ocean where the ground was alive and eating people, cults screaming about the second coming and killing people to buy off God. I mean, ah, I started pulling more and more away from people just to get some ignorant peace of mind. Looking back, that uh, probably saved my life. Finally, one day, I woke up and there was blood on my window. It was outside and I could hear some insane shit going down outside. Screaming, clanking, gunshots and a, was a smell like, like, like burning wires. You know? oh, that's when I hid. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I left my fellow man to rot and hid inside for almost a full week, long after the noise stopped. After the fifth day, the electricity and gas gave out along with the running water. When I finally got hard up for supplies, I poked my nose out and saw that the whole of the west side of the world was gone. Now, I don't know for sure if it actually is gone, but um, there's a cliff that starts 30 feet to the west of my house and I cannot see the bottom of it. I also can't see the other side of this ravine, so for all intents and purposes, that part of the world is gone for me. The suburb I was in looked like a war zone. Blood and broken stuff everywhere, houses carved up. No bodies, though, which I still think was weird. I scrounged up some food and stuff from some of the houses and then um, I went back home. Been doing that for a while now. I'm not sure how long, really. Might have been years and years, or or just a, a few months. It's hard to say. Sometimes the, the sun just sticks in one spot for what feels like days, and other times these clouds roll in and you you can't see two feet. There's uh, there's things around too. I run at the first noise, but I think they're about man-sized, and they seem to to like metal. Other little things scramble around in the rubble sometimes, so I, I try and keep clear. One time, a, a thing that looked like a, a pill bug the size of a cat crawled out, looked at me and screamed, STOP! in perfect English. <sighs> I hid inside for days. There were also these, um, these big blimp things that float around sometimes. They have little bugs on their undersides and they look kind of like maggots but with eyes all over. They eat everything when they land but most of the time they stay high up. One of these had just passed when I found the hurt guy. He was all ripped up and looked like one of those SWAT team guys you see on the, on the TV sometimes but his combat suit thing was all ripped to hell. <sighs> yeah, I dragged him back home and then um, but then we talked he said that he'd been hunting that blimp thing but he got attacked wouldn't say by what but uh, he looked like he was on his last legs 
I fed him some canned beans and some water and he seemed to come round a little. Asked me who I was, if I was all right and all that. He seemed kind of shocked when I said he was the first person I'd seen since the west of the world vanished. He told me it wasn't gone, just relocated, but he wouldn't say what that meant. I helped heal him up and kept asking who he was, but he wouldn't say. Finally, he just said, screw it, that his orders were probably no good anymore anyway, and told me. He said he worked for a foundation or something, and that they were like a a combination jail and research centre. He said that he was one of the agents who went around trying to find strange stuff and keep it from hurting people. I said he was doing a hell of a job so far, and he laughed pretty hard. He said something had happened, and that a bunch of these things had gotten loose at the same time and caused this foundation place to lose control. He said it became a a GH0 dead greenhouse scenario. I asked him what that meant, and he looked at me for a long while before going on. He said that's what they call a situation where everybody on Earth dies, but the Earth itself is still okay and can support life. I asked, what did that matter if everybody's dead? And he smiled strangely. I asked him if anyone else on Earth was still alive, and he said yes, but carefully spread out and contained. (laughs) After that, I just sort of sat and digested things for a bit, and um, the man, he started stretching and and checking his cuts. He was starting to pull on his boots when I asked, what happens now? He said that they have to reboot things. (laughs) Said they have the technology to recreate almost anything and that making people is actually pretty easy. (laughs) He said that they would clean out and contain things, rebuild the broken cities and repopulate them. It would take a long, long time, but he said they would eventually get things back to the way they were before. Even said they could recreate memories and stuff. I just, uh, I just sat, kind of stunned, and uh, I watched him as he just kept going along, getting dressed like this was all no big deal. I told him he was nuts. There was no way people could just just forget that this this could all be just just swept away. He stopped. He looked at me, smiled, and then said. down before I don't know if that man was crazy or not but I I think he was sane as he was leaving he said something about putting my house underwater please don't let them brush me away don't let them hide us try and find more I know I know there's got to be more people who tried to leave something behind don't let the world die in vain
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the SCP Archives. Again, we'll be back very soon with our regular release, and we hope to hear from you. If you like this mixed bag episode and last week's, please let us know on all social media platforms. We'd love to hear your thoughts. As always, our host and narrator is John Grills. I'm your showrunner and sound designer, Pacific Obadiah. Our music was composed by the incredible Tom Rory Parsons. And our producer is Tom Owen. This is a bloody disgusting show. For more information, visit bloody-disgusting.com. <laughs>